Hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and lately I have been baking all different types of yeast breads. So if you have a favorite bread recipe, um, send it my way and I'll try it out. Today I made raisin twist buns and they didn't turn out great, but they turned out pretty all right. This week I'm chatting with Karina Schultz, one of the founders of Chatron, where she worked with Guillermo del Toro and Jorge Gutierrez to produce the movie The Book of Life, as well as other projects like Bada Bean and Menino Malacuino. Today she is here to talk about what it took to create her studio in LA and then launch another office in Brazil. She also shares what the animation market is like in Latin America and how to get back in touch with your passion when you're going through a rough patch. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Karina. Thanks so much for joining me today. How's it going? Hi, Terry. Well, thank you for having me. Of I'm course. great. Great, How are great. You? I'm good. I'm just working on the I'm animating on a video game. So I'm taking a break to chat with you and you're in Brazil. And here we are connecting halfway around the world. That's I don't know. I like doing this podcast. It's fun. So <laughs> Um, okay, so you're you're in Brazil, um, but you started, you know, if we go back and and where your animation career began, I know you started Chatron in LA or Los Angeles, I guess. Um, did you originally start out in Brazil and then move to the States and then start the studio there and then move back to Brazil? Like, give me the scoop on how it all came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I did not, my career did not start in Brazil. I actually went to LA and I went to college. I went to UCLA and I really loved living in LA at the time. And I didn't immediately want to come back to Brazil. So I kept trying to extend it as much as possible. So I kept like extending my visa and then I got a job in the industry and I started working. And eventually I landed at this company called Quattro Media. Okay. And at the time they were really interesting because it was a, it was a group of four partners and they were one of the few production companies that were specifically focusing on animation, also comic books. So they represented, they were a management slash production company. So they represented a lot of clients and a lot of them were also comic book creators, also visual artists, character designers. So a bunch of like really, really cool people. And I thought that was such a fascinating rich, like amazing world. And I just loved all of that. And I loved going to Comic-Con and a lot of the content that they were producing was at Comic-Con and the clients they represented. So at the time they also represented IDW comics. So a lot of these amazing artists and I would always go and I'm like fangirl and I couldn't even talk to them. And they also, um, you know, it it was great. Like they also worked with Kevin Eastman. Okay. So this wasn't like just a ragtag bunch of like for people who are just like, we like comics and stuff. This was like a pretty well-established and like represented company that, that it was only four people. Yeah. It was only four people at the time. And so Um, how did you, how did you jump into that? You know, they've got a tight knit group going on They're They're establishing themselves. And then Karina comes along. She's just like, Hey, I'm trying to extend my visa. And they're like, sure. Come work with us. (laughs) Literally, this is what happened because I had a visa and my visa was connected to the job that I had. So if I didn't have a job, I couldn't have a visa. I need I would have to go back home. So my visa was about to expire. And I was like, okay, I need to get another job so I can extend it. And I went and I searched and I found these guys and I went and I interviewed and the position was to be an assistant. And, you know, when I got the job, I was really happy because I was able to extend 
my visa. So that was great. But I was also really fascinated by all the things that these guys had going on. And eventually, like I realized like, okay, I also want to be involved either as a producer or, or I'm, you know, I also had ideas and I was also writing and I also knew that I needed to create my own content. So eventually I ended up like creating a few projects and these projects started getting a lot of attention in the industry. And what happened is that one of the partners and myself, we ended up branching out of, of Quattro Media and opening Chatron. And this partner, his name is Aaron Berger, and he is awesome. And he's still, you know, to this day, my partner and my best friend. And, you know, it's it's been amazing. But together with Aaron, we had a couple of clients that came with us and we started this company called Chatron in L.A. Gotcha. And we specialized mostly in animation and kids, but a lot of our clients were super heavy, like heavy and heavyweight animation guys like Jorge Gutierrez, uh, Ciro Neely, who's also incredible, a bunch of great writers, a bunch of great directors. So we were working with these guys and selling their content to studios, to networks, and also just managing their careers and also getting them jobs. And in parallel to that, Aaron and I were also creating our own content because as a writer, I was also always, you know, actively like writing pitches, writing scripts. So it was one of these trajectories that we kept doing both things in parallel and it worked out for us. So to this day, we're still working with these amazing, amazing um, clients. So, you know, we did book of life with Jorge and, you know, shout out to Jorge. Who's amazing. I was just, you know, hanging out with him at Annecy and, you know, taught me so much. And he's been such a great mentor and, you know, such, just like such a talented guy and such a great guy. So I'm, you know, really, really happy to, you know, to still be working with him. And in parallel, Aaron and I started also like selling our own content and selling our shows and eventually, as these things go, Brazilian, I would go and spend some time in Brazil every now and then and meeting people in Brazil. And so part of my trajectory was also ending up in Brazil, creating a show, selling a show. And when that happened, Aaron and I decided, OK, Aaron, you're going to mostly run the L.A. office and I'll keep going back and forth. I'll run the Brazilian office and he will keep coming back and forth. And to this day, that's kind of how we've been doing things. Yeah, amazing. That's that's a great summary. And, you know, I love how passionate you sound. And also, from my understanding, it took about 10 years to to get there to to, to sell the first uh, kid show in Brazil. But, you know, I'm wondering from the start of your story, it just sounded like, you know, you partner with these guys, you're on an extended visa. Um, and then you just branched off and started a production company and suddenly you're working with big names, you're selling your own, like, like that all sounds like mad successes really, really quickly, but like, how, like, how did you make that happen? Because also, you know, you're, you're trying to build trust, um, and a reputation in the industry when you're very, very new. And on the side, you said you had some, you know, you were creating content that was picking up as well. So like, uh, I feel like everybody in this industry is trying to do both those things, you know, make content that is, that is, uh, you know, gets traction and, and excitement going and, you know, work with really, really cool people. So like, how are you able to do both? That sounds like, you know, you sound like a unicorn right now. <laughs> Maybe you are. 
Well, you know, I gave you the really, really short version, yeah, but it course, wasn't easy. It was like, it was a very difficult journey. And even to this day, you know, like we're still always hustling and you have ups yeah. and downs and you have moments where you're like, oh, we're going to have work forever. Like during the pandemic, I had so many projects going on that I was like, oh my God, I never have to pitch again. I can just chill and keep doing other seasons. And now it's like, oh, oh, now we have to like, you know, roll up our sleeves and get like back into it and start pitching again because it, it hadn't it didn't really even though we, we've yeah. been very successful and I really love all our shows the industry is changing and so you know things change and you have to adapt but to answer your question I think I was really lucky because I mean I have to say that I think I was able to like you know sit on the shoulders of giants because you know it was really great being an assistant at that time, because I was able to learn a lot and I was able to be a part of every process. So I think it would be different if, for example, if I was an animator and I would have gone to like art school and I would have my portfolio and I would start like, you know, knocking on doors or like doing my short film. And then my short film would have to, you know, go through a festival. Like, I think it would have been a different trajectory So I think in many ways I got lucky because as an assistant, I was able to participate in every aspect of the animation industry. So on the one hand, I was managing these really, really talented clients who were showrunners, directors. And so, you know, we would visit them, we would talk to them, we'd have lunches with them. And, you know, they would talk about what was happening in their career so we could help them. But at that point, I would be watching them, I would be learning, you know, I would be accompanying them. So basically, like Ciro Neely was on Super Robot Monkey Team for JetX at the time. And I remember just like learning from him, watching him direct, watching, you know, his designs and understanding from him, like what works, what doesn't work? Why did this episode work? And what what are the changes that he had to make on this animatic to make it work? So I was learning just watching them and just being with them. And then on the other hand, like I was looking at the contracts. So I was understanding how much things cost what the networks are paying, what they're looking for, what deals look like. So I started also understanding if I created something, how much money would I be able to make and how much would that last for me? And what was I able to do? So I kept just like learning all these things. And then on the script side, which is my my area of expertise because I'm a writer, I was just reading so many scripts from so many shows because I have access to all this stuff. And this was at a time when information on the internet wasn't as available as it is today. So for me, it was a privilege because I had all the the scripts from all the shows that my clients were working on. So I, I was able to read and I was able to also be on calls where networks were giving notes. And so I kept on, I started to really understand like this works on a script. This is what the networks don't want. And then also pitches. Cause sometimes as, as managers, we would accompany our clients to pitches And I started understanding like what can sell a pitch? What are the things that work? What are the things that don't work? What are the questions that they always ask? And so when I would go home at night, I'd be like, okay, careful. It has to be character driven because it's not character driven. They're not going to buy it. And oh, it's it's an animated series. So, you know, it can't be at the time. Now things are changing. It can't be too serialized. The, The episodes have to be, you know, they have to close in and of themselves and you have to tell a complete story. 
And so like these little things, it's it's like going to school basically, yeah, but yeah, I was getting totally paid. <laughs> so amazing. Did yeah. you ever feel like, okay, so you had all this access to this information, um, which sounds amazing. And like, you know, not a lot of people have access to this and you were curating not only your pitches towards the experience that you you had where, you know, well, this is what studios want. This is the kind of writing, et cetera, et cetera. Did you ever feel like you were, um, cause like for me as a creator, sometimes I'm scared I'm getting too formulaic versus like having a unique voice. Did you ever feel like you were, you know, just creating for a formula that people wanted versus like keeping your voice in there at all? Yes, absolutely. And I think I grapple with this to this day. And I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, for example, Book of Life is a story that Jorge Gutierrez created and it's very personal to him. Yeah. And I think because it's so personal, I watched it sort of like for different reasons. Some of them were had more to do with the market or budgetary. It would get passed somewhere, but it would always resurface and people would always ask about it. And it would like, it's kind of like you, you didn't have to do much, but the project had a life of its own. Mm. And I think it's because it was such a personal, powerful story that it moved people. Yeah. And I think that's how eventually, you know, Guillermo fell in love with it. And then, you know, it found a home and it got made. And so like, that was interesting because sometimes you listen to what people want or you listen to what pitches work and you and there's always this little formula and you pitch exactly within that formula and it doesn't sell and it took me a little bit of time to understand that it ha there has to be something personal there has to be something that means something that moves people it needs to have a soul so what, and does I think it's, what does that mean exactly yeah. a soul or personal thing like you know i think it's one thing to say that but like what what does that actually mean <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's hard to um, explain exactly what it means, but there's a feeling that you get when you're pitching someone and the project feels re that it resonates. Hmm. You can feel like from the reaction of the other person, even if they're very trained at being, you know, very poker faced, you feel this like energy in the room. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes sure. online it's harder to feel it, but like you feel this energy in the room. And yeah, you can like, tell people are paying attention and, and want more, even if they're just sitting there. Because there's something, there's the difference between like dead silence crickets and like dead silence. Like I can't wait to share this next thing with you. Yes. And it's like, it resonates. It connects with that person. It's something that's not like in your mind. It's like yeah. in your soul that connects with that person's soul. And it usually... What I think, and it's hard to always hit that, I think it has to do with something that you're talking about that's really real to you ends up being real to someone else because mm. as human beings, mm. we have similar experiences, we have similar feelings and emotions. And so they connect to that. And sometimes, and you know what happens too? Sometimes you sell that and it's not the pitch that you sold, but that seed, that thing is still there and the things around it change but that still stays there can you give an example of like you know you've pitched a number of successful projects both live action and animation can you give an example of that thing that piece of soul that thing that stays there can that connects from people with a project that you've you've successfully sold like what that thing is that you think really connects with people versus you know here are the characters here's the world because you can build that in anything 
Yeah, I think like, I mean, maybe I can tell like the example of Gabby Estrella, which is a project that, and this is interesting because I think that going to Brazil sort of liberated me in a way because I was living in LA and, you know, we were selling pitches, we were getting things made, we were selling clients pitches, but it's a very consolidated market and it's a very specific market, knows what it wants, has its slots, like it's everything's very specific. Yeah. And when I came to Brazil and I I remember I went there, it was like 2011 and I went to a market and I started understanding like, okay, this is the wild west right now. Like there's so much opportunity. They don't know exactly what they want. They're still figuring it out. They're passionate. They're making stuff. There's great talent, but it's basically a world of opportunity. And I think that emotionally it was like, okay, I'm going to tell a story that I want to tell. It doesn't matter if wow. they like it, if they don't like it, because whatever, I'm just going to do this. And if it doesn't work, I'll just go back to LA. So I wasn't scared at all. I wasn't worried. I wasn't scared. It's like my reputation. Cause like, there's another thing that whenever you go to a meeting in LA or anywhere, I guess, but in LA, this was very strong was that they always tell you like, okay, when you pitch it, they may not buy that story. They may not buy, but you're selling yourself. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. So you have to be great and you have to be amazing because like, then they're going to work with you and they're going to hire you for someone else because if they hate it and if they don't hate, if they don't like you, then yeah. the next, they don't, they're not even going to answer the call. Right. You, you have a shy personality. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> like goodbye. You know, they're not even going to answer your email. So every time I went in, it was like, Oh, like sticks were so high. And I was also so, always so terrified. Yeah. And then when you're terrified, you're always walking this very fine line and you end up maybe unconsciously being a little generic in some of your ideas because you don't want to get anything wrong right when i went to brazil i was like eh, who cares if they hate me i could just go back to la whatever and i was just like so enamored by just like the energy and there's so much going on and i was like okay so i pitched a st- like i ended up meeting another producer and she's a very passionate woman her name is mara lobon and she owns this production company in rio and she said karina like so happy that I met you because I can't stand it anymore. Cause my daughter just wants to watch Hannah Montana. And like, I just, I need her to love something from Brazil. Like we we're such yeah. a huge country, such a rich culture. Let's create something that she will listen to. She will buy, you know, notebooks and she'll go to school and she'll talk about something that's Brazilian. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And so that's when we created Gabi Estrela, which is the first project that we sold in Brazil. And I think it resonated because it was a story of a girl who lives in the city. She goes back to the farm where she grew up, where she was born. And her dad died when she was really young. And as she's there, she starts reconnecting to his stuff and realizes that he was this country musician this like sort of burgeoning country musician and finds all his music and then ends up sort of falling in love with all that music and ends up singing and eventually throughout the show we had 130 episodes because in brazil's like the telenovela thing so like many many episodes but by the end of the third season she's this famous pop star but it all started because of this connection with her dad 
And it all started because she wanted to get to know him more and she wanted to connect with him. And it was not about being famous. It was about the music and the connection and her roots and getting in touch with stuff that she kind of had lost living in the city. And I think that that really resonated with people. And when I pitched it, she was a teenager. She would like spend like a little bit of time at the farm and then would move, like would quickly move back to the city and, you know, it was a completely different pitch than what it ended up being. But the kernel, the, the truth was still there, which is about a girl who connects with her, yeah. connects with the things of her dad. And I think that's what resonated with people. Yeah, I think that's a great example. You know, you, you mentioned like the human connection and how we resonate between each other and connecting to your family and history and culture that that's it sounds like that's what I haven't seen it personally but it sounds like that's what it's about and everything is just kind of semantics on top okay cool I'm wondering you know uh maybe just a little bit more reflection on the past it sounds like you had an amazing opportunity to to soak up as much information as possible I guess two questions one is what was driving you to because you could have been in that environment and not you know just done the work you know versus uh, turn it into some amazing opportunities, start a business, uh, start a branch in another country, you know, bring uh, new shows around the world, et cetera. So what compelled you to do that? And then the second part, I guess, is how would you recreate this scenario for you? Like, how would you get back into this if you had to start fresh? Like if somebody's listening, they're like, you know, I would love to get into producing and writing, et cetera, but I don't have this amazing opportunity. You know, how would I, how would I take advantage of a situation? Yeah. So I think for me, it was a period of my life where my parents are very ambitious, very like high achieving business owners. And so they instilled that on me. And I was always like the really, really good student, you know, worked really hard, like studied really hard and like always trying to get A's. And if I didn't get A's, I would get really upset. And I think I took that work ethic into my career when I started. And so I became this amazing assistant. So like my bosses, like they loved me because I was like so great at like uh -huh. answering calls and scheduling and this and that. And, da, 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 da. and then when I became a manager, I was also such a great manager. I knew everything that my clients were doing and I was like super present and I could just like off the top of my head, like list out the points and their contracts and all of that. But after a while, I realized like if I keep doing this, I'm going to be a great manager and I'm going to be a great at that and where, but this is not what I want to do. This is not exactly what I love my clients and I had a blast doing it, but what really feed, you know, the reason why I'm here, why I'm in LA doing this yeah. is because what feeds my soul is writing and creating and being part of the creative process. So I had to force myself to break away from that a little bit hmm. and separate time in the day whenever possible and at night to work on on my stuff and to start branching out because at one point it also you know you're calling production companies or you're calling networks and studios to pitch clients but then you have to make the trend transition to pitching yourself right and i knew that if i waited too long i wouldn't be able to cross that that line hmm. and so I think that it had to be, I think it was a moment where I realized I needed to do it no matter what it took. And thankfully I had a very supportive 
business partner who understood and who also believed in me, who supported me to be able to do that. So I think there's a lot of luck in there as well. And I think what I would have done differently and what I would love to as, as advice to everybody is that I think you should definitely, if possible, first get a job where you can learn from someone else and learn as much as you can and soak that up as much as possible. Whether it is if you wanna have your own project or you wanna be a director, maybe first work for another project, another director, but or whatever it is, or an assistant like I did, whatever it is, get a job, learn as much as possible. But then at one point, don't get too caught up in that so that you don't lose sight of like your vision and your artistry and what you want to do. So that you're going to have to be brave and at one point break free from that so you can. That makes a lot of sense. Like fly, you know, on your yeah, like get a get a position wings. that's kind of on the same path where you can really excel and like prove yourself, and then you know, kind of use that experience to your advantage to to take it to the next level. And I, I think, you know, it, it sounds like you had an amazing business partner as well. But I think I think naturally in this industry, at least from my experience, if people see you're passionate, they want to help you because you know this industry, you're only in it because you like it. So nobody wakes up and they're like. Mm, I don't know. I'm going to become an animator, I guess. And and then they become an animator or a producer. It's it's more like people that are really passionate in this industry. Good. Okay. So, you know, let's jump forward a little bit. You know, you've, you uh, launched Gabby in Brazil and, and you know, um, a whole bunch of other projects. What is the industry like now? You said before it was kind of craving for some homegrown projects. Now you've, you you know, you've opened up this branch of Chatron in, in Brazil. What is the industry looking like from your experience now? I think we are going through this moment of transition. I hear a lot because there's been some recent changes. You know, we've all been hearing about it and reading about it. And I think big networks and streamers for a while, I think we're going to be focusing on like high profile projects and IPs and, you know, things that are based on books or things that have like big name attachments. And I think all that is great. And I think that works and there are opportunities there. And I think some great projects will come out of that. But as far as originals, I think we're in a period where maybe less of these originals are going to be moving forward. However, what I found interesting, based on just a few of the markets that I've gone recently, is that we may be going back to a model that I think worked really well before, where as a producer, you have a project, you take it under your arm, you go and you pitch it, and you find co-production scenarios with other countries. So many countries have co-production treaties, many countries they can use their own like incentives that they have. Um, and then basically you're gonna be, maybe instead of selling something outright, to a network, you're going to be doing, you know, pre-sales or co-productions, and then you're going to be getting your content in different territories. So in, on the one hand, it's more work for a producer because you have to go to more places. You need to be going yeah. to these markets. You need to be doing more creative sort of deal making instead of just going to one place and selling it and getting the budget and doing it yourself. But on the other hand, I think it also empowers us because you have the chance to get your project out there 
different countries around the world. If a network isn't interested in doing a second season or another season, you could still take it and try it in different places or raise the money in different ways. So you have more power over your content. So I think that that will eventually open up opportunities for us and open up opportunities for creators and writers and independent producers. So I am very positive about what's going to be happening in the future. That's great. I'm wondering, um, you know, uh, I've also been hearing this trend as well. I'm I'm wondering, though, how do you maintain, um, I guess, the heart of your project when not only is there just, you know, one big pr production company is involved and, you know, they have some say, but suddenly you have multiple partners internationally who also have their incentives, their tax incentives, like, you know, a portion of the voice acting has to be done here or animation has to be done there. Do you, are you afraid of it, the heart of the story becoming a little bit more wishy-washy now that it has to uh, cater to multiple cultures? Yes, because like you have, you know, many chefs in the kitchen and many different demands and each network has their own demands and you have to sort of find a way to make everybody happy, but at the same time, not lose sense yeah. of the heart of your story and the soul of your story. And I think that if you have a project that's very strong and has that element that we were talking about that connects with everybody, like that will always, you yeah, want to yeah, make yeah. sure that that stays intact. But I think that one thing that, and I think about this a lot, actually, because I think that if you have a strong producer who will protect the showrunner, and so no matter where, which countries or how many people are talking or how many notes you're getting, if you have a very good showrunner who can communicate with everybody and make sure that they get people what they need but that they maintain the integrity and the soul of the project. I think that's your best chance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, for any industry, really, no matter what kind of product you're producing. Um, I'm also wondering, you know, you're a writer and a producer. How do you end up juggling your love for writing and, and trying to create your own original content with all this production side where you're trying to, you know, make partnerships out, et cetera, because it's two full-time jobs, essentially. How are you, you know, and you're building and you're, and you're building a branch of a studio in another country. Like, tell me, tell me how you juggle, manage it all. <laughs> it's a really good question. And I struggle with it a lot. And I think the easy answer is I have really great partners. Yeah. So in the Brazilian company, I also have a partner called Rodrigo Olayo, and he is an animation producer and he's fabulous. I think, I think he's the best animation producer in Latin America. I really do. Wow. He's also my husband, but okay. even if he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I really do think he's a he's a genius. He's brilliant. So what that does is that whenever I'm producing something, he gives me very specific guardrails and, mm. and a very solid structure so that I can focus on the creative and I don't have to worry about the budget, the schedule, because we have a very good team that's taking care of that. So like my day every day is making sure that the scripts are good, the animatics are good, you know, the teams are working and I can look at things from sort of like from high above and not be so involved in every detail, because that's, I think the secret of being a good producer. And I'm saying I've, I'm, I'm great at it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm still working on it, but I, I believe that the secret is being able to look at it from an angle where you don't have to be super involved in every single detail, but you can look at it and kind of like see if the, the moving parts are working. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm a very big fan of soccer. 
And I've watched, I watch so much soccer, of course, right? Because I'm also from Brazil. So there's soccer every day here. Yeah. And I watch so much soccer, but so much soccer, but so much soccer, so much soccer that like you look at when you're looking at a game and you're looking at it from a distance, you can kind of like see where the players are and if they're well positioned. And if you need to like change, you kind of like you can see it like almost like a machine that's either working or it's not. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> when you're producing a project, you can look at it from above and you can see the parts that are working, the parts that are not working and sort of sort of fix them. And then on the projects that I'm writing, then that's a whole different side of the brain. Then you're like in the weeds and you're. it's like every word matters, every comma matters. And then it's almost like you're fully, fully there. And I don't think I've mastered, I don't think I've been able to really understand like how to do both of them at the same time really well enough. I think one will always suffer, yeah. but I think it's, it's going to be the journey of my life is trying to figure out how to be able to do both, how to get like really great teams so that your input is being absorbed by the team and you don't have to be super involved in everything and it's like hiring people that are better than you <laughs> at everything right. <laughs> so that you look really good I, I think it's interesting that you still are tackling both instead of choosing one and saying you know i'm gonna be a writer and do that full time and find a somebody to like you know manage the business side of things that i usually take care of or i'm gonna be the best producer and master that and hire writers like why do you why do you split your brain into these two different areas? Is it a love for them or is it a necessity? Or like, you know, imagine Karina 10 years from now where she's got everything figured out. Are, are you still doing both? Yes, I am yes. extremely passionate about both. And I'll tell you why. I think I there are certain types of projects that I feel like I write really well. And then it's just endlessly fascinating just trying to like get those characters and get those scripts and making, you know, people be emotional about like the stories that they're going through. And I just, I love that process, but there are other projects that I know that I'm not necessarily the best at writing them, yeah. but I feel that I really want to see them getting made. And I feel that I am good at certain things that will help get them made. And one of them is identifying the talent that can get it made and giving them notes and, and sort of like help sort of guide them or help them just get there. And that to me is also endlessly fascinating. So that's why it's I can't like let go makes, one for the other because they're sense. both great. You know, another question I have for you is, you know, you've, you've mentioned throughout this chat how much other people play a part in in what you're doing and like teamwork and finding really great people to work with uh, and really amazing partners. And, and how do you uh, connect with those really great people who are going to champion the projects and, you know, uh, help every help rise the tide for the whole project and yourself? Like, you know, how do you find those people? How do you stay connected with them? Because, you know, this industry is all about networking, even though everybody hates networking. So how are you <laughs> how are you good at it <laughs> how do you find these people how do you like even when you said you made a connection i, I forget her name Mar marina or something when you were talking yeah Mata. yeah gabby like how did you connect yeah. so instantly over this and and create this project together 
Well, I go to a lot of markets. Like I do go to every year I go to kids. Know, so they're like, there she is again. I see her over there. <laughs> always. <laughs> like I'm always there. So I always go to kids screen. I always yeah. go to real content market, which happens in Brazil. And so that's how I connect with all the Brazilian and some Latin American players. I always go to Annecy. Annecy right. is great because everyone's there. This yeah. year was awesome. Like, I had the best time. Like it was so great. So great. So much fun. And then I usually go to MIPCOM as well. And so every year I go to those or someone from the company, like sometimes like depending on what year we're, we're going through or depending on projects, budgetary reasons, maybe we don't all go, but someone from the company will go. And so either I'm connecting with people or they're connecting with people. And so we're always looking and always aware and it's on both ends, right? It's the buyers but also the talent. Yeah. The buyers is kind of easier because it's like, you know them. And then every year you just keep reconnecting. And sometimes people will move up or some people will leave or they'll go somewhere else. But it's like, kind of like the same people. And as they move up, like you'll know every role, but then they get promoted. And so you just kind of keep in touch with that network of people. It's like your family. Like every now and then you have to call them on their birthday. You have to like wish them <laughs> happy Christmas. You visit them and yeah. you kind of like, get into that rhythm the harder part i think is the talent because the talent it they're always showing up you know they're always like at anesty i was like oh my god like all these really young amazingly talented people and i don't know i don't like you want to meet everybody and you want to watch every short and you want to watch every movie and you want to but it's impossible so you just have to be a little bit on the lookout for what specifically you want yeah. or what specifically yeah. you need Makes but sense. It's so, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're if you're if you're sending yourself out into all these conferences and places where people are gathering and then looking for the things that you know work well with you, it makes sense. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the projects that you have going on right now? Because I'd I'd love for you to do that. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, right now we have on Netflix is a show called Menino Maluquinho, just translated as Nutty Boy. Extremely proud of that show. It's yeah. based on a famous book called also Menino Maluquinho by a famous artist in Brazil called Ziraldo, who was very important to us, especially like 70s and 80s, like during the dictatorship. He represents the subversive nature of not like, you know, not giving up on breaking rules that don't make sense and, you know, being free and fighting, you know, to make the world a better place and inspiring people. So he is a very important artist for us. And I think what we tried to do when we did the show was bring that spirit mm. into the day, like into nowadays. So it's a different world than it was in the eighties, but a lot of the universal experience of being a kid and understanding that like your imagination has no limits and everything is possible. <laughs> I think that is what we yeah. wanted to bring into the episodes. And I, you know, I'm curious to hear what everybody thinks when they watch it, but I, I think we, we were successful at having that subversive spirit in the show. Is this a and project think, that you yeah. was kind of near and dear to your heart, like growing up in Brazil? Did you um, like, you know, I'm sure you were aware of this comic growing up, et cetera, et cetera. And then scouting out this, this property, this IP and creating it into a pitch bag. Was this something that was, uh, is this something you wrote yourself or is this more of the, I want to bring this to light? 
Yeah, so I wrote, uh, I, yeah. there's this other amazing writer in Brazil called Arnaldo Branco. So we sat together and we co-created the series. So I think you know, we always say Ziraldo created Nutty Boy, but we, cre we developed the series. <laughs> And yes, absolutely. This was a book that, you know, we read in high school. This was like, and his artistic style is also kind of subversive. It's very punk rock. It's simple. The lines are like strong lines and it's fun. And so absolutely. So it was an honor to work on the show and we love it. And the thing I love most about it is that we did the whole thing during the pandemic, the whole thing wow. entirely from writer's room to the last so the marketing of the movie, of the movie, of the series, we did it, we did it all online. But you know, what was really cool is that we were able to work with people from all over Brazil. Yeah, yeah. And that is super cool, because everybody, they brought a little bit of their own Brazil to the show. So the writers brought expressions and experiences from their childhoods. And the artists, they brought like parts of their cities and streets. And so the this show is an amalgamation of everything from Brazil. So Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So somebody watching this can recognize actual places if they're from from that. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's I think that's I love hearing uh, how animation is becoming more of an international thing, because, you know, even growing up in Canada, everything was exported from the U.S. that we watched. Like I've never saw yes. Toronto in a in a TV show when I was a kid or anything like that. So I love hearing that, you know, uh, people are making their own stuff from where they're from, from wherever they're from and not just relying on the U.S. anymore. That's great. <laughs> and that is so true because the same thing for us, like we grew up in Brazil and we had like all the shows that we were watching were U.S. shows yeah. from the U.S. or also a lot of anime, which is kind of right. cool because I think Brazilians, Brazilian animators and artists developed this art style that has like uses a lot of anime references, but has a very Brazilian spice to it. It's very, very interesting. But yeah, like it's so great to be able to watch these animated shows now from all over the world. And I just I really hope that this keeps on happening more and more because I think it's so important for kids everywhere to see themselves yeah. and be inspired. And yeah, amazing. So, you know, you, you've produced a couple of projects now. What's next? What's next for you? I know you have uh, one coming up that sounds really cool to me. <laughs> Yeah, so the one that we're really, really excited about is Aztec Batman, yeah. which I am so excited. So we did a whip um, at Annecy. So we had a panel and we showed, you know, some of the art and sort of like walked people through where the show is at right now. And I'm so excited. And it was so great. Everybody, they were so, the audience, they were so supportive and they were so excited. And it was so awesome to see that happening. And it for us, it gives us the energy yeah. to keep like really like fighting to make the best project possible and to make a movie that everybody will love. But, you know, I think this is an interesting case study for us to talk about, which I think is something that uh, that we do at Chatron. That is one of the skill sets that I think we do pretty well which is this sort of international way of doing business. So Aztec Batman was born in Los Angeles, actually, with, you know, Aaron and Jose Carlos, who is uh, the owner of Anima Studios in Mexico. So, you know, Jose Carlos had the original idea. He brought it to Aaron. They talked about it. They sort of like developed it a little bit. They brought it to Warner. Warner loved what they were doing and said, okay, let's move forward. And then we worked with a Mexican writer. 
We worked with Juan Meza Leon, who is the Mexican director. And that's how we started shaping the project. And then we brought in a consultant, a historian, wow. you know, it was awesome. And then the designs are like, no, that's not how the Aztecs looked back then. And so we kept changing the designs in order to sort of be historically accurate, which I think made it cooler and cooler and more and more sort of authentic and very like an individual. It's like he's Batman, but he's not like your usual Batman. He's like the Aztec Batman with his yeah. own storyline and his own you know, backstory and, and, and all that. So it's fascinating and I love it. And I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah. I, I think it's a super <laughs> fresh take on, on Batman, which is one of those stories that keeps getting rehashed and rehashed and rehashed. That's amazing. And I love hearing about how you're working with such a big team as well. I'm wondering, you know, personally, um, it seems like you're doing great. Uh, you know, you started this career and propelled yourself forward very quickly. It sounds like, and now, you know, you're producing a lot of projects. You said, you know, there's some downtime, or whatever. How do you how do you keep yourself motivated through all of this, um, through all these years? You know, even during the pandemic, I'm sure producing an entire series uh, was not the most ideal during the pandemic. But, how, you know, what what motivates you to keep pushing yourself and and doing getting on to bigger and better things? Yeah, you know, like we have ups and downs for sure. And like, it, you know, like we have very difficult moments. Like when I first started the company with Aaron, literally like a few months in, we were hit with a writer strike. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was a tough time, but we kept going and we kept believing in our vision and believing in our dreams. And I think it does, it sounds cheesy, but I think it really does have to do with believing in your dreams mm. And thinking that like, no matter what, you're going to keep going and you're going to keep doing what you love. And eventually you're going to have great times and then you're going to have like leaner times and you have to have this ability to also, so like, yeah, there are moments where we're going to be able to travel all over and go, you know, to all of the markets and pitch to everybody. And then there are moments where we're going to be a little bit more like in the office and hey, like, but the thing is you always have to believe in your dream and you always have to believe that what you want to do, which is tell stories yeah. is better than having a job <laughs> at the bank or, you know, yeah. something, whatever it is. So it's like, you always think like, okay, even if we're struggling, even if it's a difficult time, I'm still happier doing this and, you know, working on scripts and looking at animated characters and talking about art and working with all these wonderful people than if I were doing something else, because like, we know that this is what we want to do. Um, so I think that it has to do with that. And I think it also has to do with telling stories that are important for you because it's, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you're just doing, and I went through a crisis last year hmm. where I was worried about the industry and I was worried about everything that was happening because it was right at the time when the news wasn't great out there, you know, people were getting fired, chills were getting canceled. And I was so worried and I was so, I kind of got back into my old habit of like trying to give people exactly what they want and um, trying to pitch executives exactly what they're looking for. And when I would hand in a script, I sometimes even had sort of anxiety. And this is like, I don't talk about this to a lot of people, but for some reason, Terry, I'm talking about it with you. Like I developed this anxiety where I was so worried about what the notes were going to be. And I was so wow. worried about what that executive was going to think of me. And I was always thinking like, they're going to read that script and they're going to see that I'm horrible and I'm never going to get hired again. And I literally, literally these thoughts were going through my mind. And I was like, my arms would kind of go numb and cold. And I was like, it was really like not a good time. 
And then I had a lot of like meditation and I thought about it. And I remembered like why I started doing this in the first place and how much this makes me happy and being around these really creative people and talented people, how great this is. And then it's not about pleasing someone else. It's not about pleasing the network executive. It's not about the show having to be a hit. It's not about like how much, how, what the numbers are or how many seasons they're going to order. It's about being happy in your day-to-day, writing stories that you believe in, working with artists that you admire, happy in those moments where you see an animatic and you laugh because that joke really hit the right spot. And it's about that search for those feelings and not about what the industry thinks or what everybody else thinks because you're going to have the ups and downs and you're going to have successes and failures, but it's like, you need to believe in what you're doing and you need to love that process and you need to love what you're doing. And that helped me get through that hump. And that's what keeps me motivated now is just remembering why we're doing this. Amazing. Yeah. I can tell you're very confident in, in like, you know, the well that you're drawing from to, to keep your passion. Thank you for sharing that, by the way, I, I think that's, I think that's great. And it, you know, I'm wondering when you were feeling that anxiety and then you came back to the roots of why you're doing this, did you change the pitches that you were pitching to be more of what you wanted to see? Or were you pitching the same things with just a different attitude? I think I did revise them a little bit, like trying to find, go back to the root of what I'm trying to say with this. What is the theme and why is this important to me? Because that's going to be important to someone else. So they did go through changes And then I started like not worrying so much about other people's opinions Mm -hmm. and then using pitches sometimes as like a learning lesson or as an experience or seeing the parts that they were connected, just having more fun. I think I tried to have more fun with it. And also to be honest with you, work less hours because (laughs) I was working so many hours just trying to get everything done that I realized like I was just trying to get things done. Yeah. And when you're trying to just get things done, you're not allowing your brain to have those creative moments and to have yeah. those creative sparks. And so that is also something that I started doing is working less, even if I won't deliver as many things, or even if maybe some of the projects that I have in development are not going to be as done as fast as I want them to be. Sure. If people are, if there's a schedule and people are paying <laughs> me, those are getting delivered because right, that's right, right. professional. But everything else, I'm trying to be enjoy the process and take it a little bit slower. Yeah. I mean, this really resonates with me because, um, you know, I gave up on a whole other career that I was doing fine in to pursue animation. And and sometimes I get into the motions where I'm just doing things for the sake of doing them and for work and whatever. And I have to remind myself, like, why don't I just go back into business if I don't care about what I'm doing? So like, for me, that's a big, like what you said also is a big personal motivator for me. Like I'm doing these things because I believe in them and I want to do them and I want to have fun. And if I'm not believing in it or having fun, then why am I, why am I doing this incredibly challenging and creative career? Um, I'm wondering though, how do you scale back on hours, do things for more fun for you when you do have uh, like a commitment to this, this studio that you have in, in uh, Brazil, you know, like, is it, is it just changing the mentality of kind of the business model, how it works? Or is it just treating yourself a little bit nicer so you can be more creative and passionate about uh, pushing things forward? <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both. I think for on, on the one hand, I think I was spending a lot of time on things that weren't important 
important yeah. or that weren't really making us anybody happy. So a lot of like just busy work and a lot of just like a lot, just a lot of things that you can eliminate from your day. And then the other thing that I started doing is empowering the teams. And again, I'm really lucky because I do have a team that's great, but just empowering them. Like maybe I don't need to be in every meeting. They can do the meeting. They can read some of the drafts of the scripts. They can give notes and just picking what are the moments and listening to them and just letting them have, yeah, because then it takes chunks of your day and then you can focus on that script that you need to write or even sometimes just downtime is so important so you can see things from a different angle and you can understand like the things that you need to be doing to get to the places that you need to get to or that you want to get to amazing yeah i mean that that makes sense i've had i've had managers that trust the team and let us do our thing and it almost becomes more entrepreneurial together where we're all like coming up with ideas, trying to, this is from my business past, propel, like come up with new creative ways to propel the business forward. And I've had managers that were extremely micromanaging and like nothing gets done. Everything's in a meeting. So yeah, trusting, trusting the team and like letting things up to, you know, focus on where you excel. That makes total sense. Um, You know, I, I I don't, I don't want to take all your time. I have so many more questions, but is there anything (laughs) you know, that we didn't discuss that you, you want to share it at this point? Actually, Terry, like if I can ask you a question, because oh, I'm sure. super curious. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Terry, if you can tell me like what, if you remember the exact day or the moment that you decided to switch careers oh, and how that was for you. Uh, it was, um, it's hard to put into words because it's an experience, an emotional experience that I had that I don't think have words. Um, you know, I've been a creative person my whole life, always drawing, always doodling, always doing animation projects, but I never took it seriously. And anytime any like people in my life would always say, oh, you should do this career, you should do this professionally, you could sell these, blah, blah, blah. But I always discounted it. Um, and and fast forward, you know, I went through my own journey and and I just had a moment where like, every moment in my life where somebody had said like you this is good like you should you could sell this like it all came down to like uh, see i'm i'm like sipping over my words because i don't even know how to describe it i had like a very like pinpointed moment where i saw myself from a different perspective like completely um without all the like preconceived notions and barriers and walls that i had built up over my year about years about having a non-creative career and it was just one moment where i just it just i saw everything clearly i saw myself as a creative person instead of a business person and uh that one point i was sitting on my couch and i was i like i was so overwhelmed with emotion i just was crying and then everything changed from then i hired a tutor i i got accepted into animation school started this podcast and really just <laughs> every moment Still, even uh, my day is entirely filled with animation and connecting with people and watching animation, and it's it's crazy. So, um, yeah, I can very clearly remember that moment, and that moment, I feel like my whole journey of my life led to that me understanding who I was as a person, and that I do want to tell stories, and I have stories that I feel are important, and uh, animation is the best way that I am able to express those stories. Um, I just understanding myself who I was and and going forth with that. I don't even know if that answers your question, <laughs> but um, it does. Yeah, I, 
I remember that moment all the time. It's a very impactful moment in my life. Yeah, Terry, thank you so much for sharing that. That's like super inspiring. And I I think I understand like what you're saying about like having that that moment where it's just like, and yeah. once you have that, you can't go back anymore. No, it's no. almost like you've woken up and now there's no way. Like now you need to like keep moving forward or else it's too painful to hide from from that. that totally, thing that's totally. Driving. I mean, I I even in my business career, I spent years trying to figure out why I was pursuing so many things and they felt good, but they didn't feel like me, I guess. And once I just understood myself and like, you know, what makes me tick, uh, I can't go back. And, you know, I get just you know, I, I do get in the motions of things sometimes and do things for the sake of doing them, but, uh, which I think is fine for anything, but, um, I can't imagine going back to a different career path now that I feel that I'm able to express myself and people pay me to do it. <laughs> and I want to keep building on there. You know, I have a lot of challenges that I, uh, know I'm going to have to come across and push myself to, to get bigger and better at things, but, um, so far so good, I guess, but yeah. It's, uh, I can't, yeah. Once you, once you find the confidence and really understand yourself, it's like, nobody can say anything differently, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Like before I was the one saying no to everything. And then once I said, yes, it doesn't matter if other people say no now, I'm like, you don't know me. Exactly. <laughs> you don't, know you don't what care I'm anymore. Do. Yeah, yeah. I don't care anymore. So, but it's weird because now everybody else says yes to me. There are people in my life that didn't know me were always like, we've been waiting for you to do this. Like, what took you so long? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it feels good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm wondering, well, I already asked you, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Maybe as we wrap up, just so I'm not taking your whole night. <laughs> I mean, I guess thank you and to everybody out there. You know, I hope you guys, you know, keep believing in your dreams. And I, I know it sounds cheesy, but it really isn't. It's actually the reason why we're here and it's important. And yeah. so yeah. go for I mean, it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I love chatting with people like yourself. I can tell how passionate you are and, and you've done some incredible things so far. So uh, I really hope you know, Aztec Batman spans out as your latest project and can't wait to see what next comes from you as well. So thank you so much for coming on the, on the chat, Karina. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a great time. I had, I had a blast. Thank you. And if you're listening and you want to reach out or follow Karina, you can do so by checking out Chatron's website and I'll include it's chatron.com and I'll include the link to that in the description of this video. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay. Bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mendo and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.